And so, once again, there we were. It was me, that is to say, once again, Will Hughes, and Dr. Collins, and Dr. Collins's secretary, Heloise. We were sitting in his office because it was one of the few places we could actually talk without any of the cameras spying on us. Hughes, he was saying, I can honestly say that in eight years as president of this school, I have never once had a student barge into my office to call a meeting. Good on you. Good stones. What can I do you for? Well, sir, I'm concerned that not enough is being done to curb Villa Americana's presence on this campus. And how is that? Well, last semester when we talked, I was under the impression that you were somehow going to be slowing the construction on campus, but I've come back and the cameras are all installed, the literal prison was through with construction, and now there are robots teaching half the classes. Yes, he said, I do understand you're in a music class with Professor 16 and a French class with Professor 19, or Dizneuf, rather. Yeah, I am. Are they satisfactory, Professors Hughes? Are you able to parlez-vous français? We, I said, and then I parroted back the phrase that Professor Dizneuf had taught me. Je suis heureuse qu'on mette dans une marque. And where exactly did you get that expression? Heloise asked. Uh, Professor Dizneuf, does it not mean happy as a clam? She said nothing. Regardless, these feel like some really big changes, Dr. Collins. Well, unfortunately, Hughes, they're changes the Board of Trustees has asked me to make. When I said I would do my best to prevent Villa Americana from taking over our school, I meant that I would do what I can without ruffling feathers. So, very little, evidently. I have drafted a sternly worded letter, and I have not approved for an order of Villa Americana brand pens to be sold at the bookstore. (laughs) How's that for sticking it to the man? I said nothing. He looked at Heloise. She clapped politely a little bit, and then he sighed. (sighs) Listen, Hughes, you want to know the truth of it? Most of the impact that I have here won't actually be outwardly visible. It's probably not going to be things you'll ever even notice. With all due respect, that feels fairly convenient, sir. Well, all respect taken, it is. But don't worry, Hughes. They're not going to make me into one of their little dancing monkeys. The door opened. Alan Hewlett entered, followed by a line of several other well-dressed people. Ted, he said. We're here for our meeting. I hope you didn't forget us. Dr. Collins leapt to his feet. Not at all, Alan, he said. Can I get you anything? Do you want my chair? Alan turned to me. Hi, he said. Alan Hewlett, class of 87, head of the board of trustees. I don't believe we've had the pleasure. Will Hughes, I said. And we have, sir. We met a couple times. You pushed my friend Jess down the stairs this past fall. It doesn't ring a bell. Anyway, you'll have to vacate. The board's going to be holding a very important meeting in here, right, Ted? Right you are, Alan. Young William was just leaving thusly. I sighed. Have a good meeting, sir, I said. And I left. Heloise ran after me and caught me before I could get into the elevator. I'm sorry about that, she said. No, it's fine. Frankly, it's about what I was expecting. You have to understand, Will, this is a very nuanced issue. Lots of moving parts, lots of... The door opened and we stepped in. And when the door shut around us, she exhaled and said, Thank God, now we can talk. That man is doing fuck all about those trustees, Will. Now I am trying to sway him. I am. And he genuinely means well. He does. He just... 
he doesn't like being bossed around, but Alan and the trustees bully him, and, well, they do keep the money moving, you understand. I do. Let's change the subject, then. How did the deposition go? Uh, fine. Though in actuality, it had not gone fine. A number of things have changed since the deposition. For instance, I now know that my mother said on a legal document that her life would have been better had I not been in it. And I think that deep down, I maybe always suspected this to be true, but it's strange to hear it out loud. She and I have talked exactly twice over the telephone. In neither instance did either one of us acknowledge that anything was amiss. Moreover, time was ticking out on the offer for binding arbitration followed by a payoff, and I was tempted to take it. I have been tempted to take it, and I'm still debating it, in fact. And according to Lila Wickerman, the time to accept that offer is almost out. Of course, it's been difficult. I know my mother is for it. I know that Olivia is for it. I know that David and Dr. Holloway are against it, so it's sort of a split, and that's a tricky thing, you know? Heloise sighed. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I kind of hate having to be the tiebreaker. Well, do you know which way you're leaning? Um, I don't know. I thought it would be open and shut, but they seem to be building a pretty good case around plausible deniability. Fuck plausible deniability, said Heloise. I'd never, ever known her to use foul language before. Fuck it right in its stupid fucking face. They should go up for crimes against humanity, you know? I do, I said. They should be tried at the Hague for what happened to you kids. I agreed with this, but sadly it would no longer be possible. Immediately following the deposition, in a daring move, Villa Americana had purchased the Hague and given it to McDonald's as a gift. The Hague is now the world's largest McDonald's play place. In the old days, Mayor McCheese would have sent them all straight to the guillotine, said Heloise, but I guess we don't take human rights as seriously as we used to. Anyway, sweetie, I'm rooting for you. You know that. Thank you, I said. She pressed the door open button and stepped back out. She nodded to me. I nodded back. I pressed the first floor button and the elevator began to slunk along. The doors clicked open. I stepped out into the hallway and my phone began to ring. It was Eloise. Uh, yeah? So now that we're not being watched, I can tell you this. As you know, your friend Jess has been interning with YLL of late. Yeah, she seems to be very excited by all the torture techniques you've taught her. Well, she does have a knack for them, said Heloise. It's worrisome. Thank God your mother's giving her therapy sessions, or I think she'd rule over us all as a despot, but... I wanted to let you know that she and I have been doing some research of late on Villa Americana, and we found something interesting. Were you aware that it has a co-founder along with Robeck? Uh, yeah, that Greg guy. Craig. Craig Middleton. Well, I've been doing some research on Craig Middleton, and I can tell you I've located his home address, if talking to him might interest you. Really? Do you want it? Yeah, 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 my God, yes. All right, she said, so write this down. Are you ready? It's 2199 Haverlast Road, Cambridge Landing, Kentucky. Cambridge Landing? That's right. Where's that? It appears to be a little farm community just outside of Louisville. What is he doing there? I don't know, said Heloise. From what we could glean, he moved there in the late 90s and has just kind of stayed there ever since. 
in a small town in Kentucky. It did strike me as strange, but yeah, that's where he is. It's about a three-hour drive. You could go this weekend. Oh, I don't know about that. I have kind of a big paper for my women's studies class due next week. The topic is in front of every great woman. It's about the husbands of famous activists. Heloise made a noise of consternation and then said, Well, perhaps you should finish it early. And then if you do go, don't go alone. Take a travel buddy. I will, Heloise. Thank you. Oh, and Will, one other thing. I don't know what this means. It may mean nothing. But one thing that keeps coming up in my research again and again is this name, Ramona. Do you know what that means? Uh, well... Well, now, I believe that it's the feminine version of Raymond, which, oh gosh, I'm a little thirsty on my etymology, but I think it's Anglo-Germanic in origin. I could be wrong, but not the meaning of the name. Do you know anyone named Ramona? Oh, uh, n no, 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 definitely no Ramonas. Well, it's probably nothing then. Anyways, be safe, hon. Let me know what you find if you go. I will, I told her. And then I went back to my dorm. Trevor was gone, and it was snowing pretty heavily outside. I turned on the TV to make it feel a little less lonely, and then I took out my French homework. It was basic translations. Translate, I would like your cheapest lawnmower. Translate, we sell that lawnmower for only $150. I put the homework down. I sighed. I've been having some terrible trouble concentrating lately. I took out my phone and called my mom. Will, she said, like she hadn't heard from me in years. Honey, hi. Hey, is now a bad time? I'm with a patient right now, she said. Can I call you back? I just wanted you to know that I'm going to be driving to Kentucky this weekend. I'll call you back in ten, okay? Okay, I said. I went down to the dorm kitchenette and heated up a bowl of microwavable mac and cheese. After it dinged, I sat there picking away at it until my mother called me back. Why are you going to Kentucky? I told her. Well, that's idiotic. I don't want you going down there to meet with a stranger in some small town that you've never even heard of. I mean, Will, it's dangerous. I know, I said. But I have to go. I have to meet this Middleton guy. Like, if there's any way that he could help us, he probably can't. He's been gone from the company for 20-plus years. I know. I'm going to find out why he left. And what is that going to do for the greater good, exactly? Listen, Mom. I don't know a lot about life, okay? But there's one thing that I do know, and it's that you don't turn your back on a billion-dollar business without a reason, okay? Well, am I right? Well, you're not going alone. What? We'll leave Saturday morning, the two of us. We can take turns driving. I'm not thrilled that you're going, but if you are going, I'm going to go with you. Now, do you have this man's phone number? Uh, no. Heloise didn't give it to me. Well, did she give you anything to get in touch with him? Uh, home address? So what happens when we get there and we find out this gentleman is out of town for the weekend? Well... Maybe someone in town will have a phone book. Stellar, she said. But, of course, after the events of the last few weeks, I wasn't exactly thrilled by the prospect of spending over six hours alone in the car with my mom. I can't remember the last time we spent that much concentrated time alone together. 
At the dining hall that night, I said, Anyone want to come? There was a lot of hemming and hawing. Noah, I asked him. Noah shrugged. I don't know if I've got another traumatic parent-child road trip in me right now. I covered the last one. Olivia? Thoughts? She shrugged. I don't really have any. Do you want to come? No. Just no? Yeah, just no. Any particular reason? No, I just don't want to deal with you and your mom. Well, I appreciate your honesty, I told her. I'll go with you, said Jess. You will? Yeah, sure. I've gotten to know your mom pretty well over the last couple months in session. Plus, you know, with my local librarian's connections, I can help out if anything goes wrong. That'd be amazing, I told her. Yeah, thank you. And to Noah and Olivia, I said, Can either of you look after Dolores this weekend? I don't want to leave her alone in my dorm. I think Trevor's lizard wants to eat her. Noah put his finger on his nose and said, Not it. Ah, fuck, said Olivia. I hate looking after that cat. Her bad eye socket keeps oozing. So wipe it with a paper towel and tell her that she's pretty. And then on Saturday morning, I dropped Dolores off at Olivia's room for her custody weekend and went down to meet my mom outside the student union. Jess was already sitting there waiting for me. She wore sunglasses and a hoodie. You good? I asked her. Yeah, she said. I just... <laughs> Oof. I went to the Row Alpha Row Carnival last night, and I lost the wet t-shirt contest, so I had to spend an hour in the tequila room, and... I'm still, like... I'm still here, but I'm going to need a big-ass cup of coffee if I'm going to power through today. I sat down next to Jess. You ever been to Kentucky? I asked. No, no, I've never been south of Ohio. Really? Yeah, I did used to go north a lot. I've been to Canada a couple times. Must be pretty there. Well, that and you can buy a legal drink at 19. <laughs> Summer after my freshman year, I used to go up over the border on weekends with some friends. One time we thought we saw Joni Mitchell sitting at this dive bar. Why would Joni Mitchell be in some random dive bar? A random dive bar in Canada! Come on, Will, use your head. Okay. Was it her? No, it was a mop. A voice called out across the quad, Sorry I'm late! It was my mother. She was wearing sunglasses and a trench coat and was carrying a bag from Panera. Anyone want bagels? Whoa, nice Carmen San Diego. Get up, Dr. B. Suggests it looks good on you. Tunk, your darling, said my mother. I'm trying out some new looks. I think I've got a new lease on life right now. Oh no, I said. Did you have a mini-stroke? They're quite common among people your age. She laughed a little and gave me a hug. No, well, I didn't have a stroke. I meant to tell you this, but I wanted it to be a surprise. I've started seeing someone. Have you? I said. I have. His name is Dean. We met at Half Price Books. We both reached for the same copy of the Poisonwood Bible at the same time, and, well, it was meant to be. He's a lovely man, Will. You'll meet him soon, I hope. You'll never guess what he does for a job. Certified public accountant? She opened her mouth and then closed it again. Well, said Jess, exciting news as this is, I too have taken a lover over the last few weeks, and it's going a very nice. Don't know why I quoted Borat just there. Just, it's very exciting. Well, who is it? I asked. 
It's a secret, she said. I can't tell you. Let's just say that three nights a week since the semester started, I've been in my room, shacked up with my new short king. Oh, Jess, that's wonderful, said my mother. But remember what we always say. And Jess said, loving others is not a substitution for loving yourself. I know, you taught me that. She taught me that. That's wonderful, I said. Are we ready? The first half hour of the drive was quiet. We listened to a playlist that Jess had made, and at one point Jess said to me, So how are things going at the radio station? Bad, I told her. And they were going bad, truly. Early last week, the Board of Trustees had implemented the Responsibility in Broadcasting Act. According to this act, it was now right, proper, and necessary for everything we broadcast to be intercepted and played back to a panel of scolding mothers who would scan through it to determine if we were secretly talking about drugs, sex, crime, or Satanism, as these things are not up to the standards of the Villa Americana products that we have been tasked with touting in our commercial breaks. It's had some mixed results and mixed opinions on the Windler campus, perhaps from no group more than the Windler Libertarians. After the bill was announced, there was a great schism in the group about what to think. Half of them were vehemently opposed to the new rule, as they felt that it regulated free speech too much. The other half stated strongly that they felt that it was a good thing, since the decision had been made at the behest of a privately held corporation. Ultimately, the group had been able to agree only on one thing, to go out into the woods and shoot off some illegal fireworks. Let's all take a moment to pray for what's left at the Windler Libertarians. The topic changed from the radio station, and then things got quiet. I felt my phone beep in my pocket. It was from Jess. It said, initiate the conversation. I looked at her. Do it, she said. I opened my mouth. Anyone want to play a driving game? My mother asked. Oh, thank God. What kind of driving game? Jess asked. Oh, well, we could play I Spy or Punch Buggy or Orange. What's orange? I asked. Oh, okay. It's super fun, right? So you know how when you're driving, it seems like you almost never see any orange cars? Well, this game's going to completely change that because in this game, every time you see an orange car, you shout orange and you get a point. And at the end of the day, whoever has the most orange cars wins. That sounds complicated. I said, oh. Well, we could always play A through Z. You go first. Jess, the topic is important events. And Jess thought for a minute and said, Uh, okay. Anniversary. Anniversary. Very good. See? And I'll say B for birthday. And now you go, Will. Circumcision, I said. All right, said my mother. Now we're going to play orange. But we didn't get to play Orange, because right then my mother received a call on her cell phone that started playing through the car's speakers. The caller ID came up simply as, Mom. I looked at Jess, and she looked at me, and I opened my mouth, but before I could say anything, my mother reached down and declined the call. Uh, Mom, who was that? Oh, uh, nothing, just nothing for right now, it's just a work call. It said mom, said Jess. And what's your point, Jessica? That doesn't seem like a work call. Well, 
It is, in a sense. It's work. It's very hard work. Now, who wants to listen to some CDs, right? So let's see what we got in the old player. Oh, we've got Best of Billy Joel, Best of Elton John, Best of Paul Simon. Oh, Best of Blondie. I don't want to listen to Blondie. I said, sure you do. I don't right now. Will, I'm not sure I like this vibe that I'm getting from you. I think you need to adjust your too, dude. Okay, then who was that calling? Nobody, she said, and just then the phone rang again, and the caller ID popped back up, and sure enough, it said, Mom, oh, fuck a do, she said. Okay, I'll explain it later, but please, please, neither of you talk. Why? Will? God damn it, will you just pipe the fuck down now? I'll explain everything later. Okay. She answered the phone. Yellow, she said with a certainty and comfort in her tone that actually surprised me. What's up? Janie, said an older woman's voice. Is this a bad time? No, Mama, she said. What's up? I need to talk to you, the older woman said. I need you to come up to the house. Are you free? Uh, now? This weekend? This weekend's tough for me, Mama, she said. I'm out of town on business. Are you making a house call, said the voice. No, said my mother. I'm not. That hasn't been a thing since the fifties. What's wrong, Mum? Oh, it'll be better if you just come. I wish you didn't live so far away, Janie. I know, Mum. Where are you going on business that's so important? Kentucky. Kentucky. Darling, what could possibly be in Kentucky? A conference, said my mother. She was lying without even a trace of hesitation. It was practiced, like she'd done this a million times. It was almost impressive. Well, said the caller, regardless, can you please drive up at some point in the next week, Janie? I really need to talk to you. I can try, she said. I only have two bookings for Thursday. I could ask if they'd be willing to push back. Uh, if not, maybe next weekend? Mom, why can't you just tell me what it is? And the old woman sighed and said, Well, I wasn't wanting to do this over the phone, Jane, but, well, the truth is, I'm sick. Sick. Liver cancer. Y liver cancer. Yes, said her mother. Now, I don't want you to worry, all right? Now, maybe I shouldn't have called. You absolutely should have called. Mom, Jesus, that's horrible. I'm, are, are you going to be okay? Probably, if the treatment keeps going well. Keeps? Well, I've been in treatment for a month. A month? What treatment? Oh, the standard, said the old woman. Chemo, radiation, surgery. The prognosis is good, though. They think they're going to be able to treat it, so I don't want you to get worried over me. My mother gritted her teeth a little. Why wouldn't you mention this before now? I didn't feel worth mentioning, and besides, darling, you didn't call. You know, Mother, last time I checked, you also have access to a phone. I... Never mind. Listen, that is horrible. And I, I can come up... Come when you can. Clearly, you're in no rush. It's fine. I don't want anything from you, medical-wise. I just want to go over some estate planning stuff for when it happens. Uh... Yeah, all right, um... I'll push my Thursdays into my Wednesday and do my Fridays on Thursday, and I can drive up to Ann Arbor on Friday if that works for you. Well, I don't want you to rush, but thank you, dear. I'm sorry for calling. You have fun at your conference. 
I will, said my mother. You take care. You call me if you need anything before then. All right, said the old woman. But don't worry about me. I'll be fine. You take care, love. Ta. Ta. She hung up, and we were quiet for a moment. My mother popped in her best of Billy Joel CD. Piano Man came on, and she started singing along, and I said, What? What in the hell was that? That? That was your grandmother. We stopped for lunch at a little diner in Cincinnati. I don't talk to her much, my mother admitted. She and I have always had this very hot and cold relationship, and after your grandfather died, I don't know, there was something between us we never really got over. I thought he died when you were a kid. Yeah, she said, and she picked at her chili for a little while. He did, but... Anyway, we talk every now and again, but we're not overly close. She's always been very stubborn and avoidant, and God, I could write a book on her avoidance, but every few years she'll come back into my life and be this lovey-dovey figure that she wasn't when I was a girl, and now this <laughs> this cancer thing. I mean, that's pretty much just classic her, let me tell you. No offense, Jess. No, it's fine, said Jess. I also thought my mom's cancer was fairly classic her. Well, now we're buddies on something, she said. Well, okay, but why did you lie about where you were going, I asked. What's that? Well, you told her that you were going for a conference. Why? Just because she doesn't know about the lawsuit. Okay. And I don't think she needs to know, Will. I mean, especially not now with her condition. She doesn't need more stress. Okay, but she does, in general, know about you and Villa Americana, yeah? My mother shrugged and dipped one of her fries in her chili. She stirred it like a spoon. Well, she knows that I was a therapist at a huge company for a few years. She does know about everything that happened, yes? I said. Um, not particularly. But she knows about me, yes? My mother was silent. She does know about me, right, Mom? My mother sighed and said, Okay, I have a confession to make, honey. She and I haven't always been the best at keeping in touch. And, Jesus Christ, she doesn't even know that I exist, does she? She knows that I got pregnant with you. I called her the day that I found out, and she offered me all sorts of advice about what to do, and... I didn't take the advice that she offered, but she thinks that I did, and let's just leave it at that, okay? So, my grandmother doesn't think that I exist. Well, doesn't know that you exist is more accurate, technically. And before I could say anything else, she said, But listen, Will, I know this isn't ideal, and I've been meaning to tell her, but... Honey, she's so... She's so damn mean. So you're scared to tell your mother about your only child because she's mean. Whoa, said Jess involuntarily. <laughs> Damn. We turned to her. Sorry, I'm intruding. Just pretend I'm not here. So she's mean, I said. It's more than that. It's... She's always been a little scattered, I guess. She did her best job raising me, but... Well... Dad put her through absolute hell, and he moved us around so much. I mean, never mind what she wanted, and never mind where she could get a job. He would just pack us up at random, and she would go along with it. 
I don't know why she went along with it. I guess maybe she didn't want to be divorced, but that's another thing with her. Rigid as an iceberg, and I don't know, after your grandfather took his life and I found him, she just never trusted me after that. And it wasn't like we were against each other. There was just this sense that I could never shake that she blamed me somehow. Like, there was just this wall between us, and... We weren't mean to each other. Like, there were months and months of good times sometimes, but every time I tried to get past this wall, Will, she just built it up thicker. And I can't crack her, and I can't break things to her, and I can't even know how to tell her this. Well, I want to know her, I finally said. I'm worried about that. I'm scared about how she'll be with you. Why? Because she's judgmental! And critical and harsh and a hoarder, quite frankly. Her house is a mess and there's mold everywhere. God, every time I'm there, I just want to call the state and have her taken away from herself. Then you should, said Jess. What? I'm just saying, if you're worried about it, then you should. She'd never forgive me, said my mother. If I put her in a home, it'd be the end of everything. And I know it sucks, but I don't want to cut that cord completely. Jess patted my mother's hand and offered her a napkin. Thank you, my mother said and wiped her eyes with it. Jess stole a handful of her fries. I offered to drive the next leg of the journey, so Jess climbed into the passenger seat and my mother sat down in the back and promptly had a nap. We were silent for about ten minutes, until we could finally hear her snoring and then Jess tugged at my arm. What? I said. How are you feeling after all that? Uh... Gassy? I don't know. With diner food, it's always just like... I always get the poots, you know? Not that, you idiot. Your grandmother. Oh. Uh... I guess I always wanted a grandma. Do you think she bakes cookies? Well, I don't. I think she might have a lot of physical and mental illnesses, though. Oh. So she doesn't bake cookies? You're mad at your mom, aren't you? I don't know, I said. You are, aren't you? And you're just saying you don't know, yeah? She was right. Are you going to tell me why you're mad at her? It's complicated, I said. It's something that happened during the deposition. Okay. Yeah. So, Villa's lawyer. She's tough. And she showed me my mom's testimony. And she said... She thought her life would be easier if I had never been born. Well, I mean, that is objectively true, I think. Yeah, but it didn't feel good. No, I know, I know. She made it seem like she wished that she'd never had me deep down. Like, somehow I control her life. Well, will you kind of do? No, I don't. Sure you do. But that's not your fault. You don't mean to. But listen, can I be honest with you as a friend? Is this not that? You have baby boy syndrome. What does that mean exactly? It means that you ask questions all the time, and that's okay. You're curious. You never had a childhood. You're trying to make up for it. You're trying to figure it out, and I get it. That's tough, but you do have a habit of making everything about you. I didn't feel like that was what she meant. I know, said Jess. I know, but when she said that, Okay, what went through your head? 
I don't know, really. I just kind of shut down. It was like last spring. It was like being back in that office, sitting on that couch and reading through that file. And that was the worst day of my life, Jess. I know, she said. And I know that Noah and I shouldn't have kept that secret from you. I don't care about that. I'm I'm over that. And just, like, that night that I broke down, that night that I completely snapped and I tried to strangle that guy and I tried to drown myself and then everything else that happened, I just thought that after that I had bottomed out. And I kept waiting for things to get better because I just assumed they had to, but... Every day this year has just felt like I'm still stuck at that same place. And it's felt like I'm not going up. And it's like I got a few steps better and then I just got stuck. It hasn't been that bad of a year. No, but it has though, Jess. It all started with Hugh, right? Like I fucked over Hugh and then your leg broke. And then I thought everything was getting better for a while. And I thought after what happened on Halloween that... That would be the turning point. But it wasn't. And then it just went right back to shit. I went and I tried to visit Hugh. And that was a big fucking mistake. And then I went to meet with my dad. And that was an even bigger one. Well, what about Nora? Jess said. What about that wonderful, kind young woman you're dating? I didn't say anything. What? We barely talk anymore. I was crushing on her for a year, basically, and now I'm with her, and it just feels like there's this rift, and I don't know where it came from, but I can barely get her to text me back, and I think I think we're on the way out. I'm sorry, Will. It's fine, but, you know, on top of that, I'm rooming with Trevor, and Trevor's a poor substitute for Noah, and just smiled and said, Will... Trevor's the guy that I'm hooking up with. Excuse me? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me that? Well, we thought it would bother you, but... Yeah, uh, I've been sleeping with Trevor. It happened our first week back. I was casting a new short film, and... There he was, and there I was. And I know it shouldn't work because he's shallow and narcissistic and deeply, deeply needy. But I think that's why it works so well. I don't have to think or pretend or be on around him, Will. It's just perfect. Interesting, I said. That's... And listen, I'm not trying to be regressive here, but I didn't think that I would ever see him with a girl. Yeah. I wondered about that too, but then we had adequate sex, and yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's my gross little secret. It's Trevor. That's horrifying, I said. I know, said Jess, but she said it almost like she was in love. The town of Cambridge Landing is a perfect circle, pretty much, with a road running right through it. On our way in, we passed a sign that read, Welcome to Cambridge Landing, population 2,115, plus a few grouches. Aw, said Jess, we'll read that sign, plus a few grouches. See, I like that. That's just neat and fun. Yeah, said my mother. Just mind that we don't get deliveranced. Dr. Ballard suggests, come on, don't be that way. This town has so much character. Like, look, there's a local cafe and there's a one-room theater. And, oh, there's a guy touching himself in his car, just like in Ohio. 
My mother sighed. Let's just keep going. How much further is it? But at that moment, I felt a sudden impact as the car thudded against a mailbox. I looked out, and the mailbox read, Middleton. It isn't, I said. We parked, got out, straightened the mailbox, and began to trudge up the gravel driveway. It was surprisingly warm. All the snow had gone, and now just a few beams of late winter sun were shining down through the trees. After we'd been walking for a solid minute, the house finally came into view. It was a split-level place, old-looking, but well-maintained. It's pretty, my mother said. I was expecting a more survivalist aesthetic, but it's pretty. Suddenly, there was a sound behind us, like something galloping, and we could hear the sound of metal clanging. We turned and saw a large black dog running up the path straight towards us. Run, said Jess, and we ran, and the dog ran faster. For a moment, its attentions were spread between the three of us, and then it took off after my mother. You stupid dog, she shouted as it tailed us. These ham hocks are not for you! It tackled her then, and I expected to hear our adventure coming to a premature end with the sound of bones crunching, but instead, I heard the sound of my mother screaming, and when I turned, I saw the dog was furiously licking her face, its tail wagging high in the air. Rosie, a man's voice shouted, down, girl. I turned and saw a man coming up the path. He had short gray hair and wore a flannel jacket and hiking boots. He had a very peculiar odor about him as he passed. What did it remind me of? I couldn't quite tell. The man pulled the dog off of my mother. Oh, (laughs) did she get you? Sorry about that. Yeah, she really knocked the wind out of me. Yeah, she'll do that. (laughs) Dang it, Rosie, you're supposed to rip intruders' throats out, not give them kisses. Hell of a guard dog I got. Now, I'm real sorry that happened to you, ma'am, but seeing as you're technically trespassing on my property, I'd love to know what brings you to my neck of the woods before I have to... Break out the buckshot. That really won't be necessary, my mother said. My name is Dr. Jane Ballard, Ph.D., Psy.D. I... Excuse me, sir. Uh, are you Craig Middleton? The man turned to me. Well, that depends. Are you from Coldstone Creamery? Uh, no. I'm from Windler University. Oh. I was hoping you were from Coldstone, because I missed getting my free ice cream this year on my birthday, and I was hoping that you were going to track me down and give me a free pint. Uh, no, sorry. But listen, sir, I'm sorry that we're on your property. We just need to talk to you for a few minutes about Villa Americana. He scowled. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that place. You said you're from Windler. Is that a competitor? It's a college. Windler University. Oh, he said. So you're, what, journalism students? You want info from me? Think you found a great source for your big, bad think piece on the evils of a megacorporation? Well, sorry, kids. I don't cop to interviews anymore. Please, just a few minutes. My name is Will Hughes. I just need a few minutes of your time. It's very... He spun around. X3 MPC ampersand Q? Uh, yeah. He looked at my mother. Oh my god, I know who you are. You're his mother. You're that Jane Ballard. I'm the Jane Ballard. Well, not the only one, I said. (laughs) Not statistically. Statistically, there are about 90 other people in the United States with that name. Well, I've never met them, Will, but thank you. I bet I know why you three are here, he said. I was wondering when you'd come. But, hey, come inside. I'll make us some coffee. We can chat. 
So we went inside. He said, you'll have to forgive the mess. I haven't had a lot of time to clean up in the last... He didn't say how long. But despite this, the house was almost immaculately neat. The one exception was the kitchen. There was a large, dead catfish sitting out on the counter. Its eyes were cloudy, and it had a wretched smell about it. It looks pretty good to me, I told him. Do you like germs, Will? He asked me. Germs? Yeah, germs. Little bitty things that crawl on your skin and make you sick. Do you like germs? I suppose I don't. I don't like germs either, Mr. Hughes. But... This is farm country right here. There's germs everywhere. Germs in the dirt. Germs in the animal feces. Every day for the past 22 years, I've been flirting with sweet lady tetanus will, and so far she's yet to put a ring on this finger. He held up his hands. His fingers were bent and purple and crooked. What about salmonella? My mother asked. What? Salmonella? From the raw fish? How long has that been out? Well, I put it out last night to cook for supper. Why? Because it smells like it's rotting, and I think it could give you salmonella. He looked at her for a moment and then said, Lady, this is a catfish. She looked like she wanted to say something about this, but didn't. We sat down at the table, and he put on some coffee from the fridge and took out an almost full apple pie. Please, he said, dig in. And we did. The pie was delicious. Did you grow these yourself, Mr. Middleton? Jess asked. Oh, I certainly do, young lady, he said. They're one of my favorite crops. It's a strain I cultivated myself. Auntie Ruth's. Auntie Ruth's, my mother asked. Yes, Doc. Auntie Ruth's. Now, you've heard of Granny Smith. Well, this is your Auntie Ruth. Now, she's not your mom because she didn't settle down and get a good job, get into the 9-to-5 grind, get married, start a family. No, 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 no. Auntie Ruth is an artist. She lives on a commune and teaches art at the local Montessori school, and she's a free-spirited, highly awakened, polyamorous bisexual. But deep down, she worries that she can't function without having a partner. She hasn't been alone in ten years, and she's not sure she could do it again if she needed to, but then, you know, she just smokes some OG Kush and falls asleep, and the next morning she wakes up and everything's fine, and the day can begin again, just like the last one. He was silent for a moment and looked like he might start crying. But really, it's just a cross between a Granny Smith and a Macintosh. It's a perfect pie apple. But regardless, Blaine Ballard, sitting at my table as I live and breathe, and just laughed inadvertently and said, Blaine. My mother gave her a wilting look. Sorry. Last time I saw you, said Craig Middleton, you were knee-high to old Rosie over there. You've seen me before, I asked. Oh, kiddo, come on now. I bounced you on my knee as a baby. And when was that exactly? Well, when they took you out of the tank. Now, this might surprise you, Doc, but I saw you too. I saw you the day you brought him in. Now, I don't know if you remember. It was about an hour after they'd taken him for testing, and you were getting pretty worried, and I was at the facility for a meeting with Renton and his goons. Disciplinary action, actually. <laughs> Do you know that absolute gorilla used to beat his meat under the desk? It was disgusting. But anyway, I saw you in the hallway looking kind of worried, and I... You asked if I wanted anything from the vending machines, my mother said. I looked at her. I was surprised. There was a tear rolling down her cheek. 
You got me a ginger ale and a pack of ho-hos, and that entire day, I remember you were the only person who didn't treat me like I was a bother, Mr. Middleton. He handed her a napkin. She wiped her eyes. I didn't know that was you. I mean, you founded the company. Well, co-founded, technically, but what do I know? I just designed the software, its basic automating functions, and everything else that makes it run, but... Alan designed the logo, and people sure do love that logo, but yeah, there you go. I knew one day you'd come to find me. After what that testing did to those kids, I figured it was only a matter of time before the lawsuit started, so. You here to subpoena me? No, I told him. No, 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 we're just gathering information, and we wanted to ask you, would you be willing to testify against Villa Americana? You know... Will. It is Will, right? Yeah. Will, right after I left Villa Americana, everything changed. Every horrible thing I'd ever done felt magnified in the wake of what that company did. I looked back, and for the first time in almost a decade, I read the news, and I read all the things that had happened because of what I'd built. Wars, famine, coups, the medical torture of children, and after that I realized I couldn't face the world that I had built anymore. Add to that, Y2K was on the way. I asked my wife and kids to move with me to this farmhouse, but she said no. She didn't want to live outside the suburbs. She didn't want to pull Nick and Lisa out of school. She didn't want to go. So I did the only thing I could think to do. I went. Because I realized time and again that I didn't like living out there anymore. I didn't like seeing the Villa Americana logo on half the products we owned. And I was angry and tired. And I didn't want to explain any of that to her. But I knew that if I stayed, I was going to have a breakdown. So I took the coward's way out and I left. I, I left my wife and kids and I moved down here. And I, I never came back. I haven't left Cambridge Landing in 20 years, Will, because everything I need is here. It's my world. Because outside of here, there's nothing left for me. Well, I'm really very sorry, Mr. Middleton. And I should tell you that I did advocate for research to try and help you kids. I knew that with the proper surgery, it could all be reversed, but we needed to avoid hurting your vocal cords. We had vocal cords. Well, yeah, of course. Did you not know that? So all this time, I could have talked. Yeah. I was silent. Listen, kiddo, I'm really, really sorry, okay? I'm sorry for what we did to you, because it was our fault, and there's nothing that can explain that away, okay? And that's why you left, Jess asked. Oh, oh, sweetheart, no, 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 no. I left that company because of Ramona. Ramona. You know about Ramona? Um, yeah, I know Ramona. How do you know about Ramona? I was told to ask you about her. Who is she? I mean, how do you know her? Uh, I mean, she's probably here right now. She's asleep, I bet, but I can try and introduce you. Do you want to see her? Yeah, please. So he stood up in motion for us to follow him. We did. He led us down the hallway to the bedroom. He knocked on the door and said, Ramona, sleepyhead, you have some visitors. And he looked back at us. She's pretty old now, so don't scare her. Then he opened the door, and we saw inside 
There, perched upon the bed, was a low, slumping shape, a mass of white fur with a small Godzilla-style head protruding out of it, and a few more heads stuck out of its back like tumors, like dandelion sprouts. Out of its stomach grew what almost looked like a human arm, the hand wiggling and useless, and a small sack also dangled beneath the stomach. Holy shit, Stick. What the fuck is that? This is Ramona. Is she a cat? Well, in a manner of speaking, yes, she was a cat, Will. As a matter of fact, she was the office cat, and also, wait for it, the guinea pig. Boo suggests the guinea pig of a little experiment that Villa Americana ran back in 1998, testing a new kind of absolutely mess-free pet shampoo. Now, it was supposed to be a calming shampoo that would keep pets from misbehaving during bath day and suppress dander. The results? Well, you can see what happened. So you've just been hiding her away all these years? Well, someone had to take care of her. I've been keeping her here. She's pretty old now, as you can imagine. 23 this year. She's pretty much just dust at this point. And the company's just been suppressing this all these years. Yep. And before you ask, yes, it was a fundamentally very similar formula to the shampoo that mutated you and your friends, Will. Well, no shit, I said. <laughs> the sons of bitches. And not that it was surprising, of course. It was actually a relief. Because they had known. And they had lied. They had lied to all of us, but they had known. They, they had lied making our parents sign away our lives. They had lied. And we had proof. You never tried to go public with this, Jess asked. Well, I never had reason to until now. Now listen, I want you all to take Ramona back with you. Take her back to use as evidence in your heroic and long overdue lawsuit. Just be careful with her and also make sure she's well fed. What does she eat? Everything, he said. And saying this, he took an apple out of his jacket pocket and tossed it on the bed next to the elderly mutated cat. Ramona eyed it for a moment, and then the small heads on her back began to stretch and moan and let out a low, hideous sound. And then the sack on her belly shot forward and consumed the apple. That is the coolest cat I've ever seen, said Jess. Will, you should take her as a friend for Dolores. And then we heard the sound of a car pulling up outside, and there was a low rumbling sound, a hideous hissing sound, and someone yelling, Damn it, Benji! Oh, shit, said Craig. Oh, fuck, oh, shit, total hell. What, what, well, what is it? It's the McHats. The McHats. Are you joking right now? The McHats are one of the most ruthless crime families in town. Oh, God, I knew they'd come and raid me sometime. Come out here, Middleton, someone shouted. I know you're hiding in there. What do they want, my mother asked. Well, they're after my crops, he said. Your Auntie Ruth's? No, not those crops. These crops. These crops referred to the crops we were looking at as we stood in his basement mere moments later. It was a deeply expansive basement. It was dark and warm and smelled like orange soda. And it was packed, packed to the brim, with rows and rows of growing marijuana plants. Holy shit, I said. There's like enough in here for maybe two row alpha row mixers. Indeed, said Craig Middleton. It's the mildest, sweetest sativa you've ever smoked. The OGest of OG Kush. Ronnie McCat's been after it for a while. 
like a sweaty, pot-growing Trix rabbit suggests. Just don't be ridiculous, said my mother. Everyone knows the Trix rabbit railroads cocaine and Adderall in bed every night before playing with himself for several hours, but that's not the point. Oh, it's sure not, said Craig Middleton. The point is, y'all picked the wrong time to come, but I'm sure glad you're here because I need some reinforcements. So who here knows their way around a sawed-off shotgun? We were all quiet. Nobody? <laughs> well, you're going to learn today. All due respect, said my mother. Obviously, we're very grateful for your hospitality, for showing us Ramona and the pie. It was delicious, really, but... I think getting into a drug war with the cartel is not something that we can afford at this point in time. Doc, said Craig Middleton, I respect your cowardly-ass opinion. I know you're just looking out for your boy and his girlfriend. Oh, we're not dating, said Jess. Really? You're just platonic friends? There's like a lot of chemistry I'm picking up between you two. Yeah, probably, but I think that would feel a little inorganic at this point. Like, <laughs> I don't know how that would work. Yeah, suggests. Maybe if we reconnect in middle age after we've already run through our better options. I'd like that, I told her. Regardless, said Craig. Y'all can leave if you want, but you're gonna have to take it up with them out there. And <laughs> they're not usually in a bargaining mood. It's green room rules now, kids! Just sighed. Okay. Then here's what we're gonna do. Will, you and your mom go and get Ramona. We're gonna take her back with us. You two flee out the back. Mr. Middleton and I can fight off the McHats. You, said Craig Middleton. Yes, it's okay. I have espionage training. I know my way out of a bad situation, and I specialized in Krav Maga and situation de-escalation. Ooh, fancy. Well, let me ask you this. Can your close-range combat styles compare with a shotgun? I can aim a gun, she said. You ever taken a life before? I ran over a squirrel once. Not like on purpose, but not completely by accident either. Ooh, said my mother. All right, if we survive this, we're going to unpack that next session. From upstairs, there was the sound of a door being flung open, and a man's voice shouted, All right, fellas, come out and play. Craig Middleton went to the basement's back wall and took up a shotgun, which he kept for himself, and then a large pistol, which he handed to Jess. This thing's huge, she said. Yeah, and those aren't just bullets, toots. Don't call me toots. Sorry, it's been a while. Anyway, they're cartridges, and if you shoot them, <laughs> you don't need to worry about maiming, you understand? Hell no, said my mother. No, if anyone is taking the gun, it's me. What? No, Doc, I can do this. I'm sure you can, Jess, but as your therapist, your friend, and a concerned adult, I'm not going to have your psychology marred by you murdering a drug dealer. Now give me the gun. And as my mother attempted to grab the gun from her, the door opened, and a middle-aged man with long, graying hair stood there. Hey, he said, there you old bitches are. Get out here. But before he could say anything else, there was a terrible explosion as my mother pulled the gun away from Jess's hand. Craig Middleton really hadn't been joking about those cartridges. They packed a wallop. Or at least they sure did a number against this gentleman's right foot, which became detached at the ankle. He let out a terrible anguished cry and slid down the basement stairs, yelling and wailing as blood began to spray everywhere. Oh my god, screamed my mother. Oh my god, I, I am so sorry. I didn't... Was the safety off? Why was the safety off? Uh, why weren't you following proper gun protocols, said Jess? Well, 
I didn't, but just then Craig began to laugh and went over to the wailing, footless man. He offered him his hand, but then pulled it back and said, Psych, <laughs> look at you now, Ronnie, look at you now. That hurt, shouted Ronnie. Look at my foot. Look what you did to my foot, you bimbo. Bimbo, said my mother. Sir, I have a doctorate, and you have no right foot, so who's coming out on top? Oh, he's just being a shitty little bitch, said Craig. I told you this would happen if you came and fucked with me, Ronnie. I told you. Now your leg has a nice little diddling hole. A diddle, diddle, diddle. And he stuck his finger into the bleeding wound, and Ronnie began to scream. Oh, Benji, Ryan, get down here. Really, said Jess. You expect us to be scared of some dude named Ryan? That's just sad. Just then, two very large, very scary-looking men appeared in the doorway, both holding hunting knives. Well, said one of them, so this is where he grows it. I'll give it to you, Craig. It's a nice place. And I will give it to your mama, Ryan, said Craig. Oh, that one's Ryan. Oh, you will, said Ryan. Oh, you will. You get over here right now. And as Ryan started towards him, Craig Middleton did the one thing I didn't think he would do. He let out a high-pitched, sound-barrier-challenging shriek and jumped on him. And you have to remember, Craig Middleton was a rather small and slenderish dude, so he shouldn't have been able to overpower Ryan, who was easily six foot five and probably pushing 250, but then again, our old friend Mr. Adrenaline is a funny, funny thing, so that 60-year-old man was able to absolutely deck that giant. And my mother grabbed my arm and said, let's get out of here. And the three of us started for the top of the stairs, and we almost made it when Ronnie grabbed hold of Jess's leg. She screamed, and they both went tumbling the rest of the way down. Go, she said, and I hesitated, but my mother kept running. Benji blocked our way at the top of the stairs. He said, now hold on a minute. But... Before I even knew what came over me, I was pushing Benji out of the way. I'm a pretty big guy myself, and the force of the blow sent him spinning against Craig Middleton's kitchen table. He fell on top of it and started panting. Run and get the cat, said my mother. So I ran into the bedroom and found Ramona sleeping on the bed. The small heads on her spine shone pink and fleshy, and though their eyes, if they even had eyes, were closed. I could tell they were looking right at me, and who knew what they saw? All I hoped was that they saw that I was a friend to cats everywhere. I scooped Ramona up in my hands and pressed her against my chest. She let out a little rattling meow, like, but came along quietly. I ran into the living room, and as I did, I ducked just in time to avoid buckshot flying into my skull. Ramona yelped. They were standing there in the living room. Ryan held my mother in his arms, Benji was dragging Craig Middleton, and Ronnie, on the floor, had his gun trained on Jess. Ah, oh, shit, I said. Yeah, right. Shit, said Ronnie. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Ryan, you take Craig and Gurley here back downstairs, take all those crops and get rid of them. They start acting weird, you blow them away. Benji, you take baby boy and his mom out back and you have them start digging a hole. Oh, great. Now they wanted us to put in a swimming pool. So Benji took Ronnie up on his shoulders, piggyback style, and got some shovels and marched us out back and into the orchard where we commenced digging. After a minute, I looked up at my mother and saw that she was glaring at me. You're mad at me, aren't you? 
Well, yes, I am unhappy, Will. I knew it. I didn't even want to go on this stupid fucking trip. I only went because I I knew that something like this was going to happen, and I thought maybe if I went, a sane person could prevent it. But stupid me, I should have known that I was going to a magnificently appointed countryside circus where the lunatics are in charge. Would you like a GPS, mother? Because that metaphor was all over the fucking map. She growled at me, and I broke a heel because of this. I cannot believe that I'm going to die here with a broken heel. I'll quit your whining, said Ronnie. You keep digging. Dad, said Benji. Be nice. They're doing their best. Ronnie grumbled. We kept digging, and I said, You know, no one asked for you to be here if you're that bothered by it. She went, I'm serious. I wasn't even going to invite you, but then you insinuated yourself. You're using that word incorrectly. No, I'm not. And seriously? Well, I don't see why you have to get pissy right now, okay? This was a poorly thought out debacle from the start. I'm not pissy. I am mad at you, dear doctor, or haven't you figured that out? Yes, I have, but I don't know why. What are you all butthurt about? I am butthurt because at the deposition they read me what you said about me how you never wanted me how i control you how you based your entire life around me that's what a mother does you never wanted to be a mother you just said that you you said that you only kept me to prove something to dad she put the shovel down pick that shit up said ronnie oh fuck off she said well okay so Maybe my reasons weren't good, okay? But that doesn't mean that I don't love you. I I love you. I've always loved you. Jesus Christ, how many times do I have to say that to you? I know you love me. I know that, but do you even like me? She picked up the shovel and looked at me strangely. And then she dug it into the earth and said, You're not supposed to know the difference. Well, guess what? I do now. Will, what you have to understand is, I don't know what that lawyer lady said to you, but I promise you it was out of context. Do you like me? She was manipulating you. Can't you under, do do you like me? She was asking me these leading, baiting questions, and I got so confused and angry, and I, do you like me? Just please, do you like me, mom? I don't even know you, she shouted, and a bird flew overhead, and I looked at Benji, And he looked like he wanted very badly for someone to give him a hug. My mother clapped her hands over her mouth and I said, Don't do that. Don't do that fucking gesture. You said it. I know, but I want to take it back. But you said it. Will, you said it. I... Just don't you understand that that's not my fault? You can blame me for everything, but not that, alright? Because... I want so badly to know you. Don't you understand that? I wanted I wanted you to grow up with me. Don't you think it breaks my heart every time I see people with their kids in the park playing catch or at the movies or at a restaurant and I see people shopping for school supplies and backpacks and doing all this stuff. The stupid crayon mazes on kids' menus. And it kills me, Will, because I miss that. And and it's not my fault that they did what they did because... Okay, but it is my fault that you were there. 
And I don't regret having had you. My reasons for it, they were misguided. They, they were the wrong reasons to bring a child into the world, Will, but I've never regretted it. I've never, ever regretted it. I just don't know you. And that's my fault, but, Will, I, I am trying everything I know. I, I just... I don't even know myself. I was so happy last summer when you were home with me, and it broke my heart to leave again because I was finally with you, and I finally got to realize that I have this amazing young man who's compassionate and thoughtful and brave and did all of that in spite of me. And then I went on that trip, on that long trip, and I remembered what it was like to be alive and to feel young again, to feel like someone's reckless daughter. I, I'd never gotten to feel that way. But then you asked me to come back, and then you just kept me at a distance, and... Will, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out what'll make you happy. I'm trying to figure out what'll make me happy, and at the end of the day, I... I can't even do that because I don't know who I am. I, I thought I might know by now. I thought I might be my own person by now, but I'm not. And I'm sorry because I want to like you. I do like you. But I don't even know you. I, I just... I wish we'd had that time. And I'm trying to get it back now, but I can't. All right, I just, I, so tell me what to do, okay? Tell me what'll make you happy, Will, and I'll do it, please, because I'm so, so, so sorry. I traded you away. I gaslit you. And I abandoned you. And that's nobody's fault but mine, and I'm sorry. I felt my arms encircling her body. And then I felt her arms wrapping around me and her crying into my body. And I was crying against her and saying, I love you so much. And Ronnie was saying, oh, what the shit is this? Oh, leave him alone, Dad, said Benji. They're having a moment. I don't care. They've had a lifetime of moments. I want them digging. I looked at my mother. Let's get out of here, yeah? You just want to walk off? They'll shoot us. No, they won't. Trust me, all right? I deal with situations like this all the time. Let's just walk off. Really? Yeah, let's go get Jess. And so we started walking, and Benji called after us, Where are you going? We're leaving. Bye-bye now. The hell you are, said Ronnie. Benji, stop him. Benji, you're not going to stop us now. Because right now, you're having us what? We're digging our own graves, right? Right. Benji, I look at you. You don't strike me as one who's killed a lot of people. Maybe no people at all, or possibly just a few, yeah? Maybe just a few, right? But you don't look to me like someone who wants to spend hours digging a grave for two people, is that right? I uh, hate digging, Benji agreed. Right, but see now, if you kill us, who's gonna dig the graves, right? Because it's not me, and it's not her, and it's not him with one foot, so that means... Who digs? Uh... I do, Benji shouted. That's right. Is that what you want? No. Right. So then logically, the smartest thing to do, since we won't dig our own graves, is just to let us go. You see the logic in that, right? Benji thought for a moment, and then lowered his gun and dropped his father from his shoulders and said, 
I believe that you are correct. What? shouted Ronnie. Benji, don't you see it? They're tricking you. Quit being lazy and do something. We turned away from him. My mother began to twirl her shovel in her hands. That was brilliant, she said. Thank you. Yeah, Will, I'm impressed you really put your foot down. And then, as she said, put your foot down, she brought the blade of her shovel down, and, well, there was a crunching sound and a scream, and then I looked over and saw that she'd brought it down right onto Ronnie McCat's left foot, which was now dangling at the ankle. Ronnie let out another wailing moan and started shouting for Benji to get after him. Whoops, said my mother. Uh, anyway, and then we took off running in the other direction. Now, when we got back to the house, we found Ramona sitting on the kitchen floor. She looked like she was in terrible shape. She'd been maybe dropped or kicked, which is terrible for cats in general, and even worse for one her age. I went over to her and patted her little Godzilla head, and from down in the basement we could hear the sounds of Ryan yelling. I nodded to my mother, and she nodded back to me. We opened the door. Downstairs we could see Jess and Mr. Middleton tied up in the center of the room. Ryan was walking around the room, pouring a small ring of gasoline around them. Jess looked up at us as we walked down. Ryan McHat, I shouted. Drop the can and step away from the marijuana. Ryan looked up at us. You two? He said. Well, that figures. Where's Dad? Quiet, boy, said my mother. Your father has no legs. Ryan groaned. Well, that also figures. Now, where the hell's Benji? I bet he had something to do with this. I bet he's already gone back home to watch cartoons. Well, I wouldn't know, said my mother. But listen, we're prepared to offer you a deal. Untie them, get going, and we'll be on our way, and we won't tell a soul about what happened here today. You can finish your drug war on your own time. Ryan shook his head and went on pouring the gasoline. All right, said my mother. Counteroffer. Just untie the girl and let us go. You can keep the old man. And through his gag, Craig Middleton said, I heard the sound of joints clanking behind us. It was Ramona. She had risen from her spot on the kitchen floor and had begun to walk down the stairs. Ramona, I called after her. Get back here! But she wouldn't listen. She hobbled down the stairs until she was standing on the cold basement floor and let out a low and grisly... Ryan said, Oh, this cat. I hate this cat. Look at it. It's some kind of freak. You leave her alone. I said, She is not a freak. She's just different. And despite my mother trying to grab me, I marched down the stairs after Ramona. I picked her up and Ryan began to walk towards me. From his belt, he took out a large hunting knife and raised it to me. I'm warning you, he said. Put the freak cat down and sit with the others. Or what? Or I'll slit you nips to nuts. Then you do it, I said. And it looked like he really was going to. He raised the knife, and the wild look in his eyes said that he'd been itching to stab someone all day, and then he brought the knife down. I shut my eyes. I waited, but the blow never came. Instead, there was a slurping, suctioning sound, and the sound of Ryan screaming. I opened my eyes to see that Ramona had shot out her digestive sac, which was now stuck to Ryan's face and gradually enveloping him, first his face and then his whole head, and then the sac stretched and expanded to cover his shoulders, and from there, it was very short work to suck down the rest of him. Ramona retracted her stomach. Ryan was gone. It was as if he'd never been there. His knife clattered to the floor, and one of his shoes was left behind, but that was that. Ramona smacked her lips together and nuzzled her head against my chin, and, well, that was that.
My mother followed me downstairs, and we untied Jess and Craig Middleton. Really? He said to my mother. Really? You say, take the old man? Oh, get over yourself, she said. And so we left the house shortly after that. Along with Ramona, tucked safely in a carrier, Craig Middleton gave us the remainder of the apple pie and a few ripe Auntie Ruths to enjoy at home. Well, Jess said once we'd climbed into the car, this was almost like apple picking. And then she promptly fell asleep. We rode in silence for a moment, and I said to my mother, Do you want to put on one of your CDs? Uh, sure. What have you got? I said. Well, let's see. We've got Blondie's Greatest Hits. We've got Sports by Huey Lewis. We've got The Cars' first album. We've got Bachelor Number 2 by Amy Mann. And, oh, you like Amy Mann? I didn't know that you did, she said. Yeah, just turned me on to her. I think she's great. I like that she worked with Elvis Costello. I love him. Do you know that song, Allison? Yeah, I love that song. Will, you were conceived of that song. A moment of silence followed. I should not have told you that. And then we both started laughing, and actually, it, it, it felt really good to laugh. I put my arm around her shoulder, and she rested her head against mine, and... For the first time in a long time, it felt like things were actually starting to look up. So we got back to campus and Olivia called. Not texted. Called. Will, she said, listen, I'm sure you're probably tired, but how did your trip go? Oh. Yes. Okay. Well, listen, dude, you totally missed the fireworks. Well, you were gone. Collins put out this big video announcement where he was like, Oh, the trustees are not in charge of this college. I'm in charge of this college. If you're tired of Villa Americana being on this campus, creating approved book lists and charging people to stand on the sidewalk and whatnot, then you come and tell me and I'll kick him out. It was beautiful. He did that? Yeah, he did. I, I mean, he was drunk, but he did do that. That's awesome. Yeah, but Will, there's more. Listen, I haven't told you this yet, but I've been talking to Mr. Floofles. I'm sorry, is, is that like a drug thing? No, sorry, Mr. Floofles is the nickname I came up with for the space monster outside the observatory. I've been talking with it pretty regularly since Halloween, and I haven't been able to understand it until recently, but this time I actually managed to make contact with it. It infiltrated my brain, Will, and it warned me there's some kind of upcoming cosmic event that could destroy Windler and the Earth, most likely. Oh. Oh my god. Olivia, can that wait? What? I mean, can that wait? Like, the trial's almost here, and this year has felt pretty stuffed. I, I don't think we can put any more in it. Like, what is the phrase, hat on a hat? Yeah, but we'll... Let's touch base after the trial. Okay, Keg? I suppose. Can you come and get your cat? I hung up. We walked back to my room, and my mother said, You know, this probably sounds crazy, but do you want to get something to eat? Yeah, I said. I'm starving. Let me just get my coat. I opened the door to my dorm. Trevor, I said, open up. It's me. Listen, man, Jess told me about your secret affair. You don't have to hide that from me. You can bring her around. I approve. To my surprise, the room was occupied, but not by Trevor. Kevin stood there, surrounded by three security officers. Kevin? Uh, what's going on? Kevin approached me and placed a pair of handcuffs around my wrist. 
attention, the individual known as 317A, aka William Hughes. You've been accused by a Windler University professor of plagiarism, the greatest crime a college student can or has committed. You are hereby placed under arrest by the authority vested upon me by campus security. You will be remanded into custody, tried, found guilty, and sentenced to imprisonment in the Windler Panopticon. Come along, Will. Kevin, you can't do this. It's unfounded. Oh, that's not for you to decide, is it? Now come along. Okay, the minute Dr. Collins hears about this, he's going to step... Dr. Collins is gone. He no longer works for this institution. The Board of Trustees and Villa Americana didn't appreciate his rowdy and disrespectful tone, so they took a vote of no confidence and will... It was unanimous. Mr. Hewlett has been named interim president for life, and I have been placed in charge of the Panopticon with Mrs. Lipshat. You'll be in good hands, but there will be no escape. Now, before they take you away, you said that 317B has been sexually involved with Jess Bradford. That's good to know. I shall make a note as such. Dryland was created by, written by, and performed by Adam Frost Venrick as Will Hughes, and produced by Mr. Frost Venrick and the Z Theatre Company. Thank you for listening, and please tune back in next time for more Dryland. <laughs>